Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. This weekend marks the 15th anniversary of the final Blue Collar Comedy Tour, which just happened to film its grand finale at DC's Warner Theater. I spoke with the hilarious Jeff Foxworthy, and you might be a redneck if you enjoy our conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. When you get really old and you can tell your kids, hey, I played at the Kennedy Center, I played Radio City Music Hall, that's, that's a pretty cool one to add to the list. Yeah, maybe you could make a new uh, little routine there, you know. You might be a Kennedy Center patron. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of shocked they let me in there, to be honest with you. <laughs> Are there rednecks at the Kennedy Center? I think so. They just dress up a little nicer, they? Yeah, but I mean, you know, redneck is a state of mind. It's kind of that, <laughs> it's that glorious absence of sophistication. So you can dress up on the outside, but yeah, you it's going to come out. So what's the latest uh, routine involving these days? What topics? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's funny. I think when people think of me as a comic, they always think of you know the you might be a redneck jokes, which e- even at the heyday of it, it was probably. Five minutes out of a two-hour show, right? But but you know they were easy to remember. They were one-liners, you know, so you didn't have to remember but a sentence and you could retell it and get a laugh. But it, I, I think I was really lucky as a comic early on because I just found what worked for me, and that was I just always assumed, hey, if if I thought something or my wife said it or my family did it, I'm going to trust other people or. Thinking and saying and doing the same thing. And so if you go back and watch a special or listen to a, an album or CD or whatever, it's, it's kind of like a snapshot of what was going on in my life that year. You know, I mean, I started out talking about dating, then it was being a newlywed, then about being a new dad, and then about having little kids. And 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 so that's kind of what I continue to do because I've reached that point in life now where the kids are grown and, and they're gone. You know, and and Jason, all of those like financial planning commercials show when the kids go away, the couple sailing on the smooth lake <laughs> not, it does not exist because as soon as you quit taking care of the kids, then you start taking care of your parents. And I swear they passed each other in the driveway. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm just kind of talking about my life and where it is right now today. And so... But the cool thing is, I've been a comic for so long now that I have an audience. We've kind of grown up together, you know, and so they're they're right there with me. 
Speaking of growing up together, no joke. I mean, I remember I was probably I was probably younger than the fifth graders on your TV show. Um, I was probably in third grade when your when the, your uh, your big debut album came out, the Redneck One. And I st- like my family still quotes it. Like we really, I, you're right. I grew up with that thing, and it's not even it's not even the Redneck stuff. Like you're, to your point, that's like you know the last five minutes or whatever. But we still quote like just random things about the the birds blowing up with the minute rice or the, <laughs> or the um, having having leprosy, and he's like, I can't come to work today. No, my arm fell off. <laughs> You're sorry. I drive a stick shift. Like my, I still quote that with my brother to this day. So. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which I guess to a comedian is like the greatest compliment of of all. You know, Ron White. <laughs> will still say to me, why don't you have Sigourney Weaver make you a meatloaf? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Go back to that first album, because your life must have just totally blown up and changed after that, because, uh, you know, the redneck thing caught on. But how did you actually even stumble upon that little you might be a redneck thing to start with? Like, you would have kind of never known that it would have blown up like that. Never had. No, no, I'm not that smart. (laughs) You know, what happened was, I mean, in my very early days, I started going to like New York and in 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 LA and 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 the only advice I ever got in New York in those early days was guys going yo Jeff right I don't want to hurt your feelings but you got to take some voice lessons and lose that stupid accent you got <laughs> and and I was like well where I come from you have an accent and so I right. was I you know I kind of dug my heels in and I thought no this is the way I talk I'm not going to take voice lessons but I had this accent I wore jeans I wore boots I drove a pickup truck and so I was always getting this good-natured ribbing, you know. It was like, ah, Foxworthy, you're nothing but old redneck from Georgia. And so one night I was playing in a club right outside of Detroit, and, and after the show we're sitting around the bar, and they're kidding me about being a redneck. Well, the club we were playing in was attached to a bowling alley that had valet parking. And I said, wait a minute, if you don't think you have rednecks, go look out the window. People are valet parking at the bowling alley. <laughs> we're everywhere. Yes, and, and so, yeah, we're in we're Detroit. And, <laughs> and so I went back to the hotel, and I thought, well, look, I know what I am, but apparently a lot of people don't. And I wrote ten ways to tell, never thinking it was going to be a book or a calendar or, you know, a hook. It was just trying to write stand-up. And I went back the next night, and I did did it and not only were people laughing they were pointing at each other and i thought all right if i can write 10 can i write you know 20 if i write 20 can i write 100 and that was kind of the way the whole redneck thing started there and then so because of that you know in every committee you need something that people can identify you by and so then I kind of started, people go, oh, that's that guy, that's that guy. And so Warner Brothers saw me, and they approached me about doing an album. And, and I said, well, I don't think people buy comedy albums anymore. You know, I used to listen to them when I was a kid. Which, which ones? Real quick. Oh, kid. my gosh, it was Bob Newhart, Flip Wilson. And, and so I would memorize them and go to school and do them and get in trouble for it and and so I, I met with Warner Brothers, and I said, how many albums do you think we could sell? And the guy said, if we sell 100,000 of them, we'll all be throwing confetti. Well, that album sold almost 4 million copies. And so <laughs> every time I see them, I'm like, hey, I'm glad you guys don't know anything more about the record business than I do, you know. And, right. and so, yes, it kind of, I mean, literally almost overnight, just, 
it went from nobody knowing who you were to almost everybody knowing who you were. It was crazy. Exactly. When did you do the twelve days of redneck Christmas? When did that pop? <laughs> when did that pop into your with what is it? And some part, parts, uh, parts from a Mustang, from a Mustang GT. GT. Yes. <laughs> twelve pack of Bud, eleven yes. wrestling tickets. Yes. My, I, that was sometime. I, I, the only thing I remember about it, it was when I was doing the sitcom. So it would have been in the mid nineties. And I had to stop by and record it on the way to to do the sitcom, and then I made the video uh, a month or two later. And my ch- the funny thing is, my kids were babies then, and so they they had never seen the video. And somebody was putting together a package of me, and they wanted me to go back and kind of narrate what was going on in the video. And my oldest daughter walked in and saw it, and she goes, "Dad." You can't let other people see this because I had on the the elf costume with the striped leggings and the curled up shoes and the pointed <laughs> ears, and I said, "Baby, this has been on TV a million times." And she's like, "Oh my god!" And you know, just walks out of the room. So, <laughs> I was able to embarrass my children at a level that exceeded most fathers. <laughs> well, that's what every kid wants. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, then I'm trying to think what else. Oh, the Jeff Foxworthy show. When did ABC approach you with that? Is off the success, obviously, of these well, you know platinum albums, and then they probably like, hey, let's let's milk this a little more here. Well, that's that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And you know, I think I'm probably an anomaly as a stand-up because I think most people get into stand-up because it is a great springboard to TV and movies. I mean, if you look at Eddie Murphy or you know, David Spade or, or a lot of people, Adam Sandler, it would, you know, it, it, but kind of once they do TV and movies, they don't do stand up anymore. And so it's, it's exactly what happened. The first couple of albums sold billions of copies and ABC like, Hey, let's milk this. And, and what, and wanted me to do a sitcom and I never thought about doing it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and I found out I didn't really enjoy it. It was just life-consuming, and you know I wanted to be around my kids, and and I and I love doing stand-up. And so I, I think one of the coolest things for me in my career is decades later I'm still doing stand-up, and and I've enjoyed doing other things. I mean I write books, I paint, I I do all kind of stuff. But if you put a gun to my head and said, hey, you can't do but one thing. Without a doubt, it would be stand-up comedy. There's just something very intimate about it. You know, it's just that live show, and you get that immediate reaction. And and there's people, you know, Seinfeld still does it. He doesn't need the money. Leno still does it. There's 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 some of us that I think at our heart, that's just who we are. We're stand-up comics. It's got it's got to be a rush. And and trying trying out that new joke that cracked you up in the hotel room, and then seeing an audience laugh. You're right. It must be like a rock band playing their song and hearing someone sing back. You know, it's yeah, got to be a rush. It, and, and, and it's, you know, that new thing, if I think it's funny, it's probably not going to get a laugh. And then if I think, well, this is stupid, and I throw it out there, and then people are beating the seeds, you know, I'm like, well, what do I know? <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, the the interesting and fun thing about comedy is you still never know what people are going to laugh at, but the audience is always right. You know, they'll tell you what's funny and what's not. Absolutely. Well, uh, I got to ask you about the blue collar comedy guys. How did you meet up with those guys? We all met really early on. I mean, when none of us were making money, and and I'm say early. I mean, I'm talking about you know eighty five, eighty six. I mean, back when we were all like opening acts, and we just all liked each other. You know, we all got along. And then as we kind of went through, I was lucky with the albums and things to have success. And then 
when the Kings of Comedy Tour started, there was an article in the Atlanta paper. It was one of their first stops, and it said, this is a show for the urban hip audience. And I called Ingvall, and I said, you know, we've played in all 50 states. There's tens of millions of people that aren't urban and aren't hip, and they don't want to be. And so... I think we should do a show for them. And he laughed. He said, what would you call it? And I said, I call it the Blue Collar Tour. And and so, you know, we had no idea. We we all cleared three months to do this. And we ended up doing the first tour for three years. It just, Damn. it was crazy. I mean, we went from, you know, like Larry and Ron were playing clubs. I was doing theater, you know, 2,500-seat theaters in all of a sudden, we've got 10,000, 15,000 people a night. Uh, That's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, it was just crazy. But it was so much fun. You know, the only negative thing about being a comic is you're on the road by yourself. Well, for the first time in my life, I'm on the road with three of my buddies, and, and we're laughing all day and then doing this at night and kind of looking at each other going, I can't believe they're paying us to do this. This is crazy. <laughs> well, not only was it your guys, your, the four of your you know, individual sets, but the best was when you guys would come together on stage and have that little you know, witty repartee back and forth together, which I'm sure some was fresh each night and some was probably like, ooh, that, that killed the other night. Let's bring that. Uh, was there a little of that, too? Let's yeah, recycle there was a that. little yeah. of that. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that inspired that, when I was a kid, I would watch the Carol Burnett show. And my favorite thing was when they got each other laughing. Because (laughs) as a stand-up, if you do your job right, you keep a straight face and the audience is laughing. And so I thought, well, people never get to see comics laugh. And so the guys that were producing the tour, when we were talking about it, they wanted a big like musical number, like a production thing at the end. And I said, no, I said, let us do the opposite. Instead of doing something big, let us do something small. Let us just bring stools out and talk and try to make each other laugh. And they were like, well, that won't work. And the first night we ever did the tour, we were in Omaha, Nebraska, in front of 9,000 people. I get to the end of my set, and I bring the three guys out. And it, and it was so frightening because this isn't something you can rehearse. You know, it's either going to work or it's going to fall flat on its face. And we brought the stools out and sat out there and talked for 20 or 30 minutes and said goodnight, and 9,000 people stood up. And we looked <laughs> at each other like, oh, my gosh, who knew? You know, and so that became our favorite part of the show. Yeah, and and the D.C. connection, too. I'm pretty sure you guys wrapped that first tour, a blue-collar tour, at Warner Theater here in D.C. Yeah, we surely did, yeah, so. which kind of proved, you know, that it worked everywhere, which was kind of the idea, you know, the – the people in New York and L.A. were telling us, well, you guys aren't hip and you're not on the cutting edge. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, but we play everywhere, you know, and we have an audience everywhere. And, and so it was kind of cool for the tour to validate that. And, you know, I think to this day it's, it's still the, the number one viewed thing on Comedy Central. So there was a big audience for it. Definitely. Rapid fire for me. I'm going to throw out the four of those, you guys on that and tell me the first word that comes to mind. Bill Ingvall. <laughs> Ingvall wanted to be famous more than any of us. <laughs> and, 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 
I don't know what it is about the name Ingvall, but whenever we did TV interviews, radio interviews, newspaper interviews, they always messed up his name. They'd call him Eggnog or Eggvet or what, and it would drive Bill crazy. So one night, Larry called ahead and got the people to change the marquee in front of the arena, and it said, Welcome Blue Collar Boys, Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, Ron White, and that other fella. <laughs> and Bill, I still remember being in the Suburban and Bill looking at the sign going, are you kidding me? Look at the sign. And, you know, for years we couldn't tell him that Larry had had him do that. You know, cause it went all over him. Oh, the irony of the sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's your sign, Bill. Here's your marquee. <laughs> all right, uh, Ron White, what do you, just, you, just a phrase. What, what reminds you of Ron White? What does that make? What does that conjure? Oh, the fun, the most naturally funny person I've ever met in my life. Awesome. He could recap his day, and you would be crying <laughs> with a glass of whiskey. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, and Larry. Larry's a little bit like the fair. After five minutes, you're going to feel better about your own family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so great. That's so great. All right, well, we've covered pretty much your whole career, but uh, I guess just to finish it out, um, the game show hosting, how's that? How have you been enjoying that? I know you do the Bible Challenge, and then also, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Actually, that's a good question, Jeff. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? No. Not, you, I, people, you know, when you host something like that, people think you're like Alex Trebek, and you know <laughs> that stuff, and I, I'm an idiot. One night we had a lady on, she had a second-grade question, a, a grammar question. It was something about an antonym, and she she goes, oh, I remember there were homonyms and synonyms and antonyms. She said, I can't remember the difference in them. Can you use it in a sentence? And I'm like, uh, my antonym came over for Christmas dinner. I, I, heck, I don't know. You know so. <laughs> I thought you were going to go Wizard of Oz on me. Antonym. Antonym, why not? Antonym and tell You know, because I could still use the humor in that show. I love doing that show. That was fun. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I'm glad you're still doing the stand-up, like you said, in addition to all the other TV and movies and stuff. That's what I do, and I still love doing it, which, which is, I don't know many people that have been doing a job for over 30 years that they still love their job. They still love to show up at work, you know, if you consider that work. But <laughs> so, and, and I think that shows, and, you know, the, the fact that people still enjoy it at, at this point, that's really cool. Yeah, life's good. Life is good. Well, uh, life's going to be good for our listeners, who They're going to get a kick out of uh, listening to this. So thanks so much for taking the time to join us. And uh, in your closing line, how would, uh, how would, in true Foxworthy form, how would he say, you know, you might be a WTOP listener? <laughs> what, what would that entail? <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh, you put me on the spot. It's okay, we're not I, All we're right, not I'll live. tell you my favorite, because people always ask me, what's your favorite all-time redneck joke? And yeah. Larry and I have a channel on Sirius Radio, uh, Jeff and Larry's Comedy Roundup. It's 97. But So when we started it, we were doing all these other serious channels to kind of promote it, and we were doing serious NASCAR. And the guy said, all right, make up a redneck NASCAR joke on the spot, which is not the way it works. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of hard to do. But the, the thing I came up with, I said, okay, if your son's name is Dale Jr., and your name's not Dale, you might be a redneck. And 
And it even made me laugh. I'm like, okay, that's pretty funny right yeah, there. Yeah, you could stick with that one. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thank you've been more than generous with your time. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, thank you so much, Jeff. Oh, man, thank you, Jason. That was very easy. I appreciate it. You're good. We try to make it easy. You made it easy for us, man. Oh, well, thank you, buddy. Have a good weekend. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.